So welcome everybody to the January 2020 meeting of the Google Educators Group of Ohio. This is a monthly meeting where we take a look at everything new in G Suite from the last month. We share some googly tips and tricks, uh, answer questions related to using Google tools in school and more. Uh, hi, my name is Eric Kurtz. I'm a technology integration specialist at the Stark Portage Area Computer Consortium, or SPARC for short. Uh, Spark is an information technology center serving schools in Northeast Ohio. I'm also joined as always by Stephanie Howell. Give Stephanie a moment to uh, do a quick intro as well. Stephanie? Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie Howe here. I am with Pickerington Local School District um, and I help our fifth and sixth graders and our teachers use technology in powerful ways. And I'm excited for today's meeting and I missed everybody last December with holidays and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. We do try to make it a monthly meeting, but it doesn't always work out, especially uh, with, 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 with December. It was a short um, uh, month as far as having people, you know, in school with all the holidays that we had there. And Google doesn't really release a whole lot of new things during that time of year. So this is technically a two-month meeting. Yes, we'll be combining uh, things from December and January together in this meeting. So uh, you get a get a two-for-one in this one. Um, now, as you heard, both Stephanie and I are from Ohio, and this is the Google Educator Group of Ohio, but we want to make sure everybody knows this meeting is open to anyone, whether you're inside Ohio or outside of Ohio. Um, as long as you've got an interest in using Google tools and education, we are happy you're here and uh, appreciate you uh, taking the time to be with us today. Um, as we've mentioned, um, all of the resources for today's meeting can be found in our Google document agenda. Now, I'm guessing most people probably have been able to get into this document already, but if you're watching this as a recorded video in the future, and maybe just came across the video and you didn't uh, have the document to lead you there, uh, you can get to this document at bit.ly slash GEGOhio. That is going to take you out to the GEGOhio website, which looks like this. And once you get to the GEGOhio website, if you just scroll down to the monthly meetings link, that will bring up a page where you can see the different dates that we have our meetings. Find today's date, January 30th, and if you scroll across, you'll see there's the agenda link. So even when this meeting is over, this agenda link will still take you to this document, and the document will always exist. Um, at the moment, it is an editable document. We will switch it over to comment only after the meeting is done, but you can always leave feedback you know, through comments on it. But right now, this is an editable document, so we want to encourage everybody to participate um, in this document today. So if you have something you would like to add, there are sections through here, including things like upcoming events. If you know about a conference that we did not include, please put that in there. Uh, the what's new in G Suite for Education. If we missed any you know, news or if you have a comment, like we see Star commented on one of the news items, please do that. That would be wonderful. Below there's a section called Q&A, and we've got a lot of folks who've been throwing in some questions today. So, oh my gosh, we have some excellent questions to take a look at here later. Please feel free to either add a question or if you have an experience, if you have experience with these things, you want to put an answer in, please do type in an answer as well. And then at the very bottom of the document, we have show and tell. This is where we share just neat ideas on how to use G Suite in your school or a neat extension you've come across or a great blog post that you found recently that relates to using Google tools in schools. Please feel free to um, fill out any of those details in the show and tell section. Now, today we are joined by a special 
special guest. Guest, we have Alex Orris with us uh, today. He'll be jumping in here um, throughout the meeting um, whenever he would like to jump in and join us. Uh, we're going to have a, a time for him to share uh, during the show and tell section um, on some awesome things that Alex has been doing. And so we are very excited. We uh, love to have guests with us and typically try to have a, a guest each month. All right. Well, in addition to the share document, please also feel free to leave comments in the YouTube chat. We'll be keeping an eye on that as well. With all of that said, I think we are ready to get into the agenda. Let's get it started. All right. So um, we've done our introductions. We'll scroll past that. Let's uh, pause for a, a moment on the section called important links. Um, and the one that I want to draw your attention to is the one that's highlighted in green. And this is our sign-in form. We do ask each month that people take just a quick moment to sign in for the meeting. What that does is two things. It allows me to send you a certificate of attendance for attending the meeting. Um, I'll mail merge those and send those out uh, later on, but it also allows us to let Google know how many people attend the meetings. They do ask that we submit that information. Uh, I don't share, you know, anybody's emails or names. I just share numbers with, with Google. So if you would take a moment and fill out, you know, your name and email is there so that I can generate your, your certificate of attendance, but um, the rest of it down there, picking the date and, um, whether this was your first time attending a, a Google user group meeting or not, uh, that's information that I will collate and you know uh, summarize up and send on to Google. So we appreciate uh, you taking a moment to fill in that uh, sign-in form. Uh, below that, we have a section called updates. And this is where we just give a quick little update on our, um, our Google uh, user group community. Uh, there still exists an old Google Plus community, um, which um, looks like we're up to about, about the same amount, a little over 2,100 members on that. Um, the Google Plus community still does exist, and you can absolutely post things there. We encourage you to do so. Unfortunately, not everybody's able to join Google Plus any longer because of the change to how Google Plus uh, functions now. You can't use personal accounts anymore. You have to use educational accounts. And so what we did um, uh, earlier last year was we switched over to using a uh, Google group for email uh, communication. And so um, if you haven't joined that group, we won't go through the details on it. You can see that all here. You can head out to the um, Google Groups website for GEG Ohio, and from there you can join that group. And basically, it just allows you to be able to stay plugged in in between the meetings. If you've got a question, post it to the group. If somebody has a question and you've got an answer, go ahead and post that to the group. If there's a neat upcoming training you want everybody to know about, let them know about a conference, let them know about events. And so the GEG Ohio email group is open to anybody, and we definitely encourage you uh, to join that group to stay connected with the community. All right. Uh, next up, we've got some upcoming events. And at this point, I think I'm going to uh, turn this over to, to Stephanie and uh, let her share about some of the upcoming uh, conferences and events that we have um, in the next few months. So coming up, um, there's the Neo Tech Conference, which I've never been to, but I know Eric has been yeah. to and he's attended and uh, I think you've presented, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, so the Neo Tech Conference, um, that is an annual conference. Um, right in my neck of the woods. Um, it's been held at Kent. It's 
It's been held at Akron. They even held it at Cleveland once, but it's always been Northeast Ohio. Um, and it is very similar to the Spark Conference that we do here as well. Um, a lot of a lot of shared uh, you know ideas on how those conferences are run. Um, the, uh, the the conference. Um, this year is going to be in Akron, and it's a two-day conference where the first day focuses more on like administration and uh, in the the techie end of it, or like the ma the management end of things, the more technical end. And day two, the seventeenth, is more on the integration part as far as curriculum goes. So, uh, yeah. So the link is there for anybody that uh, would like to register, and it is free. So I kind of uh, awesome. like how they split up the two days, so that way they've got two different tracks. And you can decide which day you, is better right. fit for you, or you can go both days. That's awesome. Um, so the next one is OETC. It's coming very soon. Um, this is our Ohio Educational Technology Conference. And there are some great sessions. They just posted the app. So you might want to check out for different sessions. They also have a Google Room. Um, they had this last year. And I believe they made the room bigger because of the attendance that filled up those rooms. So make sure if you are at OETC, you can go to some of those sessions. They also have a Google Hangout area. And then we're also having a Google EdTech party. So this will be at 1130 on the 12th and we're going to be going to Flatiron for lunch. Now, does anybody, do, they, do people need to sign up for that? Can they just show up there at Flatiron um, on that day? Feel free to just show up um, at 1130 they said that they would probably get busy around noon. So okay. you might want to try to beat that um, lunch crowd if possible. And we'll just kind of hang out until we want to go back to sessions at um, the convention center. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm so good. Thank you for organizing that. Uh, really appreciate that. It'll be a great chance to meet other um, GEG Ohio folks and other people who are interested in Google tools here um, at, at the conference. That's awesome. And then um, the Ohio Google Summit, ITIP, just um, the presenters just got alerted of who is presenting. So they are working on that schedule. Um, and that one is coming up in May. And that is in Sandusky. And it's all about Google. So again, another great conference to attend. And then Eric just put in his Spark Educational Technology, Technology Conference. Um, it's in August. So just to start planning ahead. Right, really more of a save the date thing. I don't even have like registration is not open, call for proposals is not open yet, uh, but it's more of a hey, save the date kind of thing just so you're planning. We always do it the first Friday of August to kick off a new school year and get people back into the swing of things. So I'd say within the next you know, month, you'll start to hear more, but I just wanted to get it on everybody's radar there so uh, they can plan for that. That is a free conference as well. And we hold that here um, on the Stark Stakes College campus where we um, have our location as well. Awesome. All right, anything else with conferences here? I think Stephanie, you're, um, we're, I, I know we're presenting at the Google Summit and um, there's a session that uh, you had put together that includes several of us. Uh, correct. It'll be like a, a panel session, right? Yeah. At the ITIP, we're doing um, all, we try to get all of the Ohio Google innovators to do a session and there will be five of us that are attending the Kalahari um, event. So we're going to do a session. It's about like being innovative and to give you some different ideas of how to use Google in your classroom. Oh, fantastic. Looking forward to all of these great events and uh, hopefully folks who are listening will be able to attend either Neotech or OETC or, you know, the um, Ohio Google Summit or the Spark Conference. And please say hi, please, you know, connect. I uh, love to, you know, chat with folks um, at all those events.
Very good. All right. Well, let's get into the bulk of what we're going to spend our time on here each each month, and that is what is new in Google. The idea behind this is there's just so many new things coming out all the time from Google, and it's hard to keep up on that. And so Stephanie and I do our best to monitor all of the different Google blogs and their you know Twitter feed and the official accounts from Google to try to see anytime something new gets announced. So you can just come to a one-stop shop and be like, okay, this is it. <laughs> these are all the new things that happened in the last month. Now, we're not going to go through every one of these. There's just so many of them. So we've tried to highlight a few that kind of caught our eye and we'll, uh, you know, talk through those. Uh, however, if you have any questions or comments on any of these, please feel free to leave a comment. Like we said, Star had a question on uh, this one here about uh, pr proposing a new meeting time and calendar from Gmail. That's fantastic. Please feel free to drop a comment over here in the margin or put something in the uh, YouTube chat if we skip over something or if we have a question on anything there. Um, all right. Well, um, Stephanie, would you like to kick us off with uh, what's new in G Suite? And we'll just kind of bounce back and forth. I can. Some of these have been out for a while, um, just like the first one that we're going to show you is back in December. And so this one was really cool. I use it all the time. You just start typing um, the Google Doc file that you might be thinking about, and it pops up right in that Omni bar, which I think oh. is so helpful and such a time saver. Instead of going to open up another tab, going to Drive, you can just do this right in your own um, tab and then you can open up that Google Doc or the Google Drive or the folder or whatever it is. And it just has saved me so much time. I don't know if it's saved anyone else so much time. <laughs> no, I don't think I have really taken advantage of that. And it sounds like you, you're, you're really, that makes so much sense. Like here I am in this, you know, on this blog, if I just came up here to the Omnibar and if I wanted to get to our agenda for today and I typed in, you know, Google user group, Yep, look at that. It's not just searching the web for web pages. It's also looking in my drive. And right there it is. Here is our 2020 January document. And uh, how convenient that the Omnibar now searches our drive as well. Yeah, you just need to know the name of the document, um, which a lot of times I do, but there are times yeah. that I don't. Um, so if you do know the name, you can quickly find your what you're looking for. Well, one more quick you know, step to cut out and make things a little bit easier than having to head over to drive. Uh, thanks so much. That's a great one. All right. Uh, the next couple here, I'm going to lump together a few because they're all sites related. So here's, this one's on sites, 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 and sites. <laughs> so the next four that are bolded here, we'll just throw all together uh, because they basically announced a whole bunch of updates to Google sites. Um, now, I'll mention them real quick, and then I can demonstrate a couple, but they're not all out yet, so I can't actually show you all of these features yet. Um, what's happened, um, there's a couple of things. One is they've made some updates to the image carousels, table of contents, and the buttons. Now, for that one, I can actually show you that, and I'll drag a site over to demonstrate that here in a second. Um, but the gist is, if you, if you add a image carousel, you can now add captions to the image carousel images, and you can also change the speed at which the uh, image carousel moves. If you do a table of contents and you don't want one of the items to show in there, you can now hide individual portions of the table of contents from that list, and buttons now have some more options for how you style them. 
Uh, let me grab a demo site that I have here. This really is just a demo site. As you can see, it just says demo on it. Um, so here is a Google site um, from when I went to the Jello Museum in Leroy, New York. I was uh, throwing some stuff together here as an example. Um, so yes, I was one. I was up in uh, Leroy, New York doing a, doing a training and uh, they have the Jello Museum there. And so I went ahead and added an image carousel. If you come in here and take a look at the carousel, um, you'll see a few things such as if I hover above any of the images, I now get this little button that allows me to add a, uh, a caption. So if I click on the little text button, it says add caption and I can type in, like in this case, that's a picture of a lot of different Jello molds. Uh, so you can add captions to it. While you're editing the carousel, if you go up to the little gear in the top right, you can also get the speed. That's the new thing as to how fast the carousel moves through. Um, I did go ahead and throw in um, some uh, text boxes down here, overview of Jello and a description of Jello and the history of Jello. And from that, I went ahead then and uh, generated a table of contents up here at the top. Um, and this is where that other new feature comes in. If for some reason, I don't know if I didn't want to have all of these different items listed in here, I could just hover above any one of them and hit the little eyeball button. And I could say, I want to hide that from the table of contents. So now if I go and preview this, we're going to get just description and history. I won't get the um, Jello overview as part of the table of contents. Even though it's still here, I mean, I can still come down and see it. It's just not going to be listed in the table of contents. And then, of course, here's my, uh, uh, my image carousel moving at what they called a medium pace, but that's pretty quick. I, uh, I think I'd have to probably slow that down a bit normally. And then underneath several of these, you can see the captions that I put in. All right, so that, that's a quick example of um, those updates. But like I said, there were a few others that haven't gone live yet. Um, let's see, the version history. Um, so basically, it's version history. <laughs> so just like you can in a Google document, go file, version history. Google Sites is getting the version history option, so you can go back and see all the changes that have been made to a site and who made them and you know what the changes were, roll it back to an earlier version. I don't have it yet. Um, I went in and checked, so it looks like it's still coming out. It looks like uh, um, they're going to be doing this, uh, oh, not till March. Okay, so that, yes, I, I checked that earlier today and did not have that yet. So that's coming out um, throughout, starting in March and then throughout the year, we'll be getting version history. Um, cloud search, this is one that does not apply to my domain because you do have to use G Suite Enterprise for education and I don't have that. I just have the regular G Suite for education. Uh, but if you are an enterprise school, um, you can now add a search, uh, cloud search in Google Sites so that there'll be a little search button in the top right hand corner and you can tell it you want to search just your domain, search the whole internet. Um, but again, I don't have that option since um, I don't have enterprise, just the regular free version of Google for Education. And the final Google site update um, is when you do go to make a change and publish your site, it is going to look different here in the future. Again, this has not rolled out to mine yet. I was testing it earlier today and did not see it yet. But basically the idea is what's going to happen is when you go to publish any changes, it's going to now give you a side-by-side -side comparison. It'll say, this is what your site looks like right now. If you hit publish, this is what it's gonna look like. These are the changes that you're making. So it'll just give you a quick, you know, um, side-by-side -side comparison so you can see what those changes are gonna be. So 
good deal. We're getting a lot of updates to sites. I know there's still a lot more to come. Um, I believe the timetable is still saying that classic sites will be good through the end of 2021. So we still have two more years with classic sites. Google's giving themselves that time to get all of the features added to new sites that are still missing, like page level permissions and things like that. And I like the carousel. I think that would be really helpful for portfolios that yeah. students create and then they could show their parents and it you know, rotates through different images that they've done. And then um, also what was really cool was um, being able to see the last person that published and your changes too. Right. And then there was a comment about what's the difference between enterprise and classic education. Um, enterprise is like a paid service that you could pay to have. Um, Avid said it was $4 a user per month or something like that. So you would probably wanna contact your Google person um, to get more information. Some of the different features are like Google Hangouts, it will record with the enterprise compared to the free classic where it doesn't have that recording. Um, they're adding like originality reports to enterprise. Um, they've just got a couple other features. I don't know if there's yeah, like a list somewhere. Yeah, originally it seemed like, oh, enterprise was more geared toward a really big school district that needed um, some more controls over administration. So it was some really fancy reporting and analysis and tracking of information um, that was like, oh, that's good. I like that. But it wasn't anything that I'm like, well, I, I, I can live without that, um, especially, you know, if you're not this you know, really large organization. Um, but then over time, they've started to add more things to enterprise that, and Stephanie, you did a perfect job of explaining what those were, like recording Hangouts. That's why we're doing this with Zoom meetings right now instead of Hangouts on Air, because we don't have Hangouts on Air for free anymore. You know, it, that went to Enterprise to be able to record, you know, that. Um, and so uh, that's an Enterprise feature. And later on, we'll talk about originality reports and how those are unlimited for Enterprise, but not if you're using the free version. So yeah, there are things now in Enterprise that are a little bit more tempting, but it does cost. It's, it's a cost per user, you know, like, you know, per user per month uh, to, to have that. And so I think for some schools that's prohibitive and they're like, well, we're going to keep using the free version that we've always used. And I guess there's just some features, some new features we just might not get. So. Yeah. And I found, um, I just typed in Google, classic versus enterprise yeah. to see the difference. And they actually have a filter chart. Um, so you can go down the different products like Gmail and you can see what is the difference, what is included, what isn't included. Like calendar, everybody gets right. the same stuff. But if you go to Google Plus, every it looks like everyone gets the same stuff. So let's see if I can find one. Um, Google Drive, um, it is unlimited for education. Yep. But on your like, own account it's not right but there's some features there that could be different yeah i would say you know without over generalizing it pretty much is enterprise is for you know larger organizations you know it was originally designed for business and there were some larger schools that said hey we would love some of those special business features that you have i mean it's stuff like i'm gonna Honestly, I'm going to butcher it because it's been too long since I've sat in those uh, sessions where they were explaining all of the features that come with it. But it's 
you know, more advanced analytics that really lets you um, run fancier reports on how your users are using the system and also being able to uh, check for things like, oh, let's say somebody's using a credit card number and they've got that inside of a document, you know, being alerted to things like that. It's, it's things that a business definitely would be concerned about. And then there were some schools that said, hey, well, we're, we're pretty big ourselves. We're kind of like a business ourselves. You know, we'd love to have these features. And Google said, well, we don't have a way to give them to you. Those are part of the business offering. They're not part of the free Google um, suite. And school said, well, is there any way you can, you know, make that available to us. And so that's why about, I don't know, two years ago, two and a half years ago, they uh, rolled out enterprise for schools as an option. I don't personally know any schools who use enterprise. I'm sure there's tons that do. I just don't know. I mean, in my neck of the woods here, uh, I have not come across a school that is currently paying for it, but would sure love to hear from somebody that is and get their take on it as to, you know, the, uh, the benefit of having those extra features. Yeah, and then um, in the chat, Linda said that some of her Google sites, they've just blocked it because there are Google sites where there are games created. Um, and I think for our district, we kind of just blocked those sites. We didn't block Google sites, just the one, like we got the URL of the game sites and we've been blocking those. So Eric, I don't know if you know a workaround for that so they don't have to block the entire Google Sites. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So they're saying we had to block Google Sites at our pre-K-8 school due to the ability for upper school students accessing game sites created using Google Sites. Huh. That, I'm, I'm curious about that. And Amy's saying there was something on the Tech Corners listserv about that. Um, uh, I wish Google would give admin better control to only allow domain Google sites on the campus. So at the moment, really, the only controls you have over Google sites is, you know, you know who can and can't you know, create them and how, how they can be shared. Um, but to go in and, you know, micromanage like which sites, um, let's see, uh, Amy's going to check on some of the suggestions that got sent out. Thank you, Amy, for looking into that. That's great. Um, it sounds to me like, yeah, you would, you would almost want to rely on your filter, but it's going to be every school to be different as to what filter you're using to see if the filter can be a little bit more granular to, um, you know, only block certain sites and not through, because I would hate to throw out the entire Google sites tool, uh, because of that, because it's, you know, I mean, you already mentioned a great one there about doing portfolios. I mean, what a great way for students to create a portfolio. Uh, it's a great way to do a report rather than typing up a regular, you know, report in a Google document, making it a, you know, engaging multimedia web-based, you know, report instead. Um, yeah. Uh, Scott says we block Google sites except for the ones in our domain. So staff and student Google sites are not blocked. So Scott says it does work yeah, to so block it except for the ones in the domain. Interesting. All right. Well, it looks like we're getting some really good yeah. discussion there in the chat about. I'm going to move some of these to the question and answer area. Sounds good. Why don't we do that? <laughs> then we'll get to them later. All right. All right. Well, let's touch on a few other what's new things. We're still working through December as we catch up on the month that we didn't have our meeting. Uh, so what's up next here, Stephanie? 
Um, so the next one is like the QR generator. So this one looks kind of interesting. I don't use a whole lot of QR codes in the classroom just because we are one-to-one -one and we push everything out through Google Classroom, okay. all the links and stuff. Um, yeah. so I don't know how useful this will be for me, but I could see this being really useful if you were teaching um, and it wasn't a one-to-one -one environment or if you have iPads or something instead of Chromebooks, because yeah. then the kids could just scan the QR code and it would go straight to that website. Yeah, so, what's, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what you do is you just right click and then it's going to have a thing where it says generate QR code, which I feel like this would have been helpful, you know, three years ago when we weren't one to one. So, but now that we are, I could just see us yeah. using Google Classroom, but it kind of reminded me too of how you can send things to a different computer. Um, right. So that kind of reminded me of this feature where I could send this website to my Pixel phone. If I'm on my computer. Right. If you right click on the tab, you can send it to another one of your devices, which isn't that nice? Oh, I've loved doing that too, to just be able to send a page over to my phone and vice versa. Huh. Well, this is neat. So I guess this is um, not out yet. They're saying it's part of the Canary release, which is an early version of Chrome, which means it'll be a couple of versions before it gets to the stable release. But it looks like, yeah. Looks like right click and say generate a QR code for this page and then boom, people with their phones could just, you know, if you're at a conference maybe or you know, throw something up on the screen real fast, people could scan it and get to that uh, site. Neo, uh, let's see, what is up next? Um, uh, oh, and Alex says we use QR codes for station directions and there's a resource link to take a look at that. Awesome, very good. Um, the next one here um, is a, um, an option that when you get an email that has a calendar invite, if you can't do that particular date and time that's been suggested in that invite, there's the option now to go down, well, there will be, this is, looks like it's still, oh no, it looks like it started rolling out in mid-January, so it may be out to you by now, but you can click the more options instead of accepting or rejecting the request, you can click on more options and you can say, oh, I want to suggest a different date. And so under more options, propose a new time can pop up and you can say, well, this doesn't work, but here's another option. So that's nice. That's a, that's, that, that's a neat feature, but it brought up a question over here where Star was saying, hey, this sounds like a neat thing, but is there a way to do it more like the Doodle uh, service that, that is out there? Um, and if you're not familiar with Doodle, um, I know I've received several of them. That's where somebody's trying to schedule a meeting and they'll say, okay, here's five dates and, you know, two or three times on each date, send it out to a group of 10 people. Hey, everybody mark the dates you can, you can meet. And then, you know, the organizer can look at Doodle and see, oh, well, it looks like eh, not everybody can do everything, but oh, we can get eight people on this date. So that's when we're going to do the meeting. Um, and so Star was wondering, you know, this idea here, it's just one person sending an invite to one person and them trying to reschedule it. Is there a way to do uh, a larger uh, scheduling uh, pro process like Doodle does? Um, I do see we have a comment below saying this would be great, but you can currently use the suggested times in Google Calendar. Um, and so that I would agree that is certainly one option to consider that when you are first making a calendar event, if you click the suggested times option in there, 
anybody that you are inviting to the event, if you have access to their calendars, it'll show you whether they're busy or not. Now, I just threw a bunch of conditionals in there, right? <laughs> so it's like, well, it's got to be people who have allowed you to see their calendar. You know, if you're inviting somebody to a meeting and they haven't shared the calendar with you or their calendar is not public or their calendar is not shared across your domain, um, then unfortunately, well, I mean, it's unfortunate for you. You're not going to be able to uh, see when they're available, but of course it makes perfect sense for, for, for privacy. You know, people don't want to just let anybody see their calendar, but if you're in a school where the default setting is, Hey, everybody's calendars are at least visible. Even if it's not the details of what they're doing, free busy shows up using suggested times can be a nice way to be able to at least get a feel for, Oh, it looks like Thursday. Everybody looks like they're free in the afternoon. So I think I can do a three o'clock meeting. Um, the other thing that can be unfortunate about that is all it searches for is your primary calendar. So sometimes folks will use more than one calendar. They have their primary calendar, but then they have another calendar that might be for, you know, a committee that they're on or another calendar that might, you know, uh, be for a uh, sport day coach at school. And so you may think they're free when they're really not. It could be that the, the suggested times is only, it's only going to pick up what's on their primary calendar. So I would imagine um, when I think about stars question um, and if anybody has a, you know, has, you know, answers to this, please, please, you know, chime in, uh, other than using doodle, which I think is probably a good, a good option is to go ahead and use that. Um, what I've done, I've just used a Google form. I just go ahead and create a quick Google form and say, okay, guys, here's a list of dates and times. And I make them check boxes so people can choose more than one and not just have to pick one date and say, check whatever days and times you're available. And please try to do this this afternoon so I can, you know, get the scheduled. And then, you know, that way you're not doing a bunch of emails. It's just one form. Everybody checks when they're available. I look at the form responses and go, well, our best bet is Monday at two, because that's when most people are available. So that's what I usually do. I don't know, Stephanie, if you have an idea for that, or if anybody else has a suggestion for um, scheduling a, an event with a lot of people. Um, so one thing, I know this is not for multiple people, but you could use appointment slots mm -hmm. with the calendar, but that would just be with, you know, a couple people. Um, it would be kind of nice if you could do so many people. I don't know if that is a possibility or if Google is thinking about that. Yeah. Appointment slots, you can, you can let as many people as you want see them, but yeah, once yeah. somebody clicks on an appointment slot, they claim it and it's per person. So yeah, at the moment, a group could see it, but no, only individual people could grab each slot. Um, so that would be an option if you're trying to schedule multiple meetings with just one other person. Um, but I've used Google Forms, maybe a Google Sheet. You could have everybody, you know, list their name and then you could have different time slots. But I think to use that feedback tool in Google and suggest it to Google because they do listen. Yeah. Um, Jeremy says boomerang calendar meets some of those needs. Thanks, Jeremy. That's one I am not familiar with. Um, that would be good to, uh, investigate. Oh my goodness. I tell you, we have so many, so many great suggestions and ideas here today from everybody. Thank you to everybody for contributing. All right. Um, let's see. So where's that take us to then Stephanie? Next one up. 
Looks yeah. like the email yeah. attachment one. Yep. So this one is interesting. Um, Google just started this and I sent a couple emails with this. I don't know if I like it yet, um, but it's where you can attach an email, which is kind of difficult right now, I think, because you have to find the email and then attach it. I was trying to start an email and then attach it and it was really hard. Like you couldn't do it the way that I wanted to do it. Okay. You first had to find the email and then attach it rather than starting the email and going the back way. Um, but in one of the images on um, the website, uh -huh. that you can, oh, you know how like the email is open partial of your screen and then you could drag those three emails to your email, which is a nice feature. Right. I just keep forgetting to use it, I think too. Um, but I think it's kind of funny because you could be like, per my last email, you know, and then it's attached. So right. then people aren't confused and then they have to search their email. But a lot of times I feel like I just take that old email and will reply from that email. Mm -hmm. But I think I need to start trying to do this. Yeah, this one um, was one of those things where I hadn't really thought about either because I don't know that I have an occasion that I do this very often. Um, so I don't know that I'm the use case scenario they're trying to you know, hit with this. But I guess the idea is, right, if you have especially a number of emails, like in this GIF, they're showing three different emails that are all of importance to somebody, um, being able to grab all three of those emails and drag and drop them onto a new message rather than forwarding each one of them individually saying, hey, I need to get you caught up on something. Here's you know, these three messages that you missed before you joined the committee. Instead of going forward, forward, forward on each one of them, I, you can just grab them all, throw them together and uh, get them all caught up at once. So something that um, if, it's, if it's a match for something you need, you're probably really happy about it. I just, I don't know. I don't think I've ever had an occasion where I needed to do that, but now that it exists, my, it'll be it'll be in my brain, and as as I'm aware of that, who knows? I may uh, realize that that's uh, going to be a real time saver in some cases. Awesome, good stuff. Well, let's see what we have up next. Uh, the next one um, that we highlighted anyway was Google um, added two more videos to their Art Zoom series. So if you're not familiar, this has been around for a while. Um, it's not something new but they, they're adding to it. So ArtZoom is part of Google Arts and Culture, where basically what Google does is they'll take a modern contemporary artist, it could be um, uh, a singer, a musician, somebody who's in the arts and has them comment on a classic painting. And um, so they've added two new entries for the screen and for the birth of Venus. Um, and these videos aren't like terribly long, so they would be great to show in a class if you want, if you were, you know, studying uh, these pieces of art um, and get some interesting modern perspectives on those. Um, if you head out to Google Arts and Culture, you can find the whole series. And I don't remember how many they have now, but I think they're around five or six or seven of these videos that they have made. Um, called Art Zoom, where they're basically zooming in on the details of a, of, of, of a painting and having somebody you know, famous um, uh, sharing uh, their perspective on it. I think it'd be really cool if we let students do this with their artwork. What a neat idea, yeah, just to be inspired by that and say, let's have you do that with whatever you create, 
do this sort of a commentary, maybe have them watch a couple art zoom videos as models and be like, Oh, that's a really neat way. And then they can be inspired by how art zoom did it. And then they can fire up screencastify or something like that. And they can uh, record themselves giving uh, commentary on their artwork. Yeah, or they can even partner up with a friend and do their friends art, you know, switch with a colleague. So I think this could be really cool. I didn't even know this existed. There's so much in Google Arts and Culture that is like mind blowing. Um, and you right. have, to have so much time to go through, but I'm like, that'd be a really cool art project. I like it. That's neat. So yeah, if somebody's looking to do that, you now have, you know, a handful of videos that could serve as inspiration to kind of get the kids started and thinking about what it would be like to provide commentary on theirs or others artwork. Cool. And then What's the, next? Next, the next one is interpreter mode. Um, so this is really cool because I know there's a huge gap in our districts with um, our EL population and some teachers and the families like there's just that disconnect because of that language barrier. Um, so this is really nice. You can have your pixel phone open. And then you can use um, interpreter mode. You just say, hey, Google, can you be my German interpreter? And it will take whatever you say in English and then it will translate it, which is really um, cool, I think, because my Google phone's going crazy right now. It's like, who's speaking? I'm in the room by myself. I do um, the same thing. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's going to be really helpful for those parent-teacher conferences where you can be sitting in the same room and using that phone to help you have that conversation. Now, the good thing it looks like is as long as you've got assistant, you're okay. Because they even say mm -hmm. here it's rolling out to assistant-enabled Android and iOS phones. So the Google Assistant app is really the key to this one. Um, so um, even if you don't, because I don't have a Pixel phone, I need to one day upgrade. I got a Samsung Galaxy S8, so I'm a couple of generations back, but it still works. Um, but I'm able to download the Assistant app. And so for Android and iOS phones, it looks like this is a new option to interact with the Assistant and get that live uh, interpreter um, um, back and forth. Oh. Yeah, and I know this is all about Google, but Microsoft has a similar app too that I just heard about today. Um, I was listening to Matt Miller's podcast. Yeah. And it is um, the translator, Microsoft Translator is what it's called. Excellent. And so that's just another resource. Um, I know right. it's Microsoft, but. Oh, no, that's. Know, Whoa, no, we all, we all play in the same sandbox together. So right? I'll add that into the notes too, yeah. just in case someone else needs a different resource or it works better. That's great. Very good. All right. Well, that gets us to January. Um, and we do have a few items from January as well. Um, the first one in January is just heads up. The Doodle for Google contest is open for 2020. So if you have not jumped on that yet, each year Google does have a contest to design a Doodle, uh, which is the uh, little Google logo that changes each day on the Google website that reflects um, somebody famous or a, a holiday or an event. Uh, that uh, is to be celebrated that day. Well, um, this year, this is our 12th annual Doodle for Google uh, competition, and their theme this year is I Show Kindness by dot, dot, dot. So it's all about acts of kindness. Uh, it is open to students K-12, and they do break it up into different grade levels so that you're you know, competing against students of a, of a similar age, 
and they have uh, lots of scholarships and prizes that can be won throughout that. Uh, looks like we need to have submissions in by March 13th, so still some time for people to do that. And Google does not limit what medium you use to design those Googles. It can be digital, it can be physical, um, whatever you want to do to make that uh, doodle for Google. So uh, get that on folks' radar. Yeah, and we have a school doing the contest because their building theme is kindness this year. Yes, the theme <coughs> is kindness, yes. And so they're all doing it just because they're called the Harmon Heroes, they're focused, that's kind of their mission. Um, so it's been really cool. The kids are so excited. They do not allow gifts. I had a student who had this oh. fantastic idea. She drew it up in Google Slides. She made this like GIF yeah. and it won't accept it. It's only um, JPEG. Okay. So just so everybody knows, um, some of the kids were trying to think outside the box and I felt really bad because I'm like, that would have won. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. That's a really great, and a lot of times the Google Doodles do that. They move and, you know, yeah. they're interactive. So I could see why you would want to do that. Yeah, so it does only take um, JPEGs okay. in another format, but it will not yeah. take the GIF. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And then the next one is kind of, amazing because ever since I had AJ, my little, um, he's about three months, it's been very difficult to, you know, text and do different things on my phone. So I've learned to use voice to text. And now this feature, I think I'm going to start using read this page and it will read the page to you. So you can be multitasking, doing other things, and then it will actually go ahead and read whatever is on um, your phone. Oh. How nice. So another part of the Google Assistant um, looks like they're con continuing to beef that up with a lot of accessibility tools. Um, this one being, yeah, read this page. So normally I see they mentioned in the article here, the article about using Pocket to do that, which is true. I that's what I normally do. I'll take an article, I'll save it to Pocket on my phone, then I'll go over to Pocket, and from Pocket, I'll use the text-to-speech and have it read aloud. Um, and I do remember Google Go doing this. Yes, I even downloaded the Google Go app separately because it could do that. But the fact that this is just going to be baked into the assistant and you can just ask it to read whatever page you're on, awesome. Very. Oh, and it's going to have little controls at the bottom, 10-second rewind, 30-second skip, yeah. pause, play, um, it kind of looks like the podcasting app, I think, like how yeah. you can speed it up, slow it down. That's really neat. I do also like how they were mentioning in here um, that the actual voice itself that they're going to try to use, uh, they said they're, and I, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with this term, they said they're focusing on prosody. P-R-O-S-O-D-Y, prosody, prosody, which is the um, an attribute that describes stress, intonation, and rhythm to make things seem more natural. So they're creating voices that for a long reading passage would seem even more natural. So good job, Google. Looking forward to it. And I'm always, you know, I always think about those things with the Google Tools for Struggling Students session that I do that deals with accommodations and accessibility. But the thing I try to emphasize is we're all struggling learners in one way or another. Uh -huh. Tools, these are not, you know, specifically for special education, for, you know, anything. It's, these are tools for we're all learners who can benefit from these things. So, awesome. Uh, let's see, up next. Um, more options for copying presentations in Google Slides. Um, so for this one, I let me pull up a slideshow here. 
here we go. Here's all Google tools for ELL. This is a slideshow that from a session I, I do on that. Um, and so now if you have a slideshow that you want to make a copy of and you click the file button, when you go down to make a copy, there's now this new option that pops up over on the side. You may not have it on all of your accounts yet. So like, for example, I, this account is my trainer account because my work account doesn't have it yet. Um, when I went earlier to do this today, it has not made it out to my work account. So if you don't see it, it is coming. Um, but now if I go file, make a copy, if I say I want to copy the entire presentation, I get some checkboxes that include things like stripping out the speaker notes if I don't want those in there. Or if I don't want to copy the whole presentation, I can say, let's just hold down my control key and select three of the slides that I want. Now, if I've selected three slides and I go file, make a copy, selected slides, it's now just going to copy those three slides that I previously selected. I can again pull out the speaker notes if I want, but the key is I can now make a copy of just a portion of the slideshow rather than everything. If I uh, don't want to copy the whole slideshow and then go back and delete things, which is what I normally do. <laughs> so, all right. So that's a cool update for slides. All right. Next up. Let's see here. Um, we are at what the Chrome apps. Oh, well, looks looks like we're on the, breaking out a oh, yeah, value out. within a pie chart in Google. So this looks kind of um, interesting. So you'll have your data in a Google Sheet, and then you're able to pull out different data. I think this will help visualize the difference um, in different percentages, and it might help as you're analyzing your data. Oh, neat. Yeah. So if you've got a pie chart and you go to customize, pie slice is now an option and you can pick the slice you want to adjust and then you can pop it in or out of from the center so that it uh, kind of pops out there. That's cool. I think this would look really good on a presentation that you're trying to Does give. It works, 3D? Oh, it works 3D too. Look at that. There we go. <laughs> oh, how nice. I like it. Yeah, that's cool. That'll really make your pie charts really uh, stand out there. Neat. All right. Uh, next one up is one. I did come across this um, a little bit back here uh, in an email is how it came to me. And I'm trying to remember why I even got it. Um, but it caught my eye because it was from Curriculum Pathways, the email. And I know that they're the folks who make SAS Writing Revisor. So um, they, um, the company, um, Curriculum Pathways, or the, well, I don't know if the company is SAS and Curriculum Pathways is one of their big products, but they're retiring their suite of Curriculum Pathways products. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. Um, I know they make the tool called SAS Writing Revisor, which is a tool that you can use to um, do like grammar checks on your document. And I was like, huh, I wonder, will this affect SAS Writing Revisor. And so I went down through their FAQ and I was so sad to see that, yes, it does affect that too. So it's like so many of these different, they've got a lot of tools that they create and Writing Revisor is one of them and it is included in here that yes, they are discontinuing that add-on. And that's unfortunate. I really like that one a lot. If I go to add-ons, I think I've still got it installed here. Um, SAS Writing Revisor, there it is. And if I open it up, basically what it does is it gives you a panel over on the side where it gives you 25 different tests you can run, like wordiness, passive voice, um, simple sentences, uh, sentence fragments, 
um, all of these different, you know, uh, you know, weak verbs, and and it will run a test on your essay or story or whatever, and give you feedback on how to improve all of these 25 different areas. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of neat grammar tools, and I do have a blog post in a session that talks about, you know, all of these different self-editing tools. But that was one of them I really liked in it. <laughs> you know, there's still a lot of other ones that are out there um, and we'll take advantage of those. But nothing quite did all the stuff that Writing Revisor did. So it was always nice to have it as another tool in the toolbox. So sorry, guys, July 15th, that will no longer function. So just heads up. Um, it's going to be heading, heading to the graveyard of tech tools here. So, All right. And next up, yes, the Chrome Apps is the next one. There's yep, so on the, the Chrome Apps, um, we used to use this all the time. So going over to your um, toolbar, going to the Apps yeah. area. And I haven't used this in a while. Um, I don't know if it's just because I've forgot about it, but they have a timeline for um, how they're going to stop kind of accepting new Chrome apps. Developers will be able to update existing Chrome apps through June 2020, or no, 22. And so they're just kind of giving you a timeline of when they're coming to an end of the support of Chrome apps on Chrome um, OS for all yeah. customers. You know, boy, I remember when they announced that. It's been, I don't know, it's been a little while back, maybe a... I don't know if they say in here when it was originally announced, uh, 2016. Yeah, back in yeah. 2016, they announced that they were going to be killing off Chrome apps. And it looks like we finally have an official date, 22, June of 22 is going to be the end of those. Um, you know, Chrome apps were always kind of a unique thing um, because if you go to the Chrome Web Store, like you had said, if you go to the Chrome Web Store, um, now, when I go there, all I see is extensions, you know, and themes. But if you go there on a Chromebook, you could still see apps listed. And, um, but you have to be on a Chromebook to see the apps section. But now they're, like they're saying, they're going to even discontinue that. So Chrome apps were, a lot of times, they were just fancy ways to get to a website, you know, so the Chrome app, you know, for something like Flipgrid was just a fancy link to get you to Flipgrid. So for a lot of folks are like, well, what's the big deal? You're not losing those tools. You just no longer have a cute little Chrome app to click on to get to it. You just have to bookmark it. The thing is, there was a percentage, not a big percentage, but there was a percentage of, of Chrome apps that were actually standalone tools. They weren't websites. They were actually a, a tool that would pop up and, you know, a self-contained. And so that's why they've given so much time here before they discontinue these so that whoever developed those can choose how they want to handle it now. Do they need to make a website that does what the standalone tool used to do? Do they want to convert it into an extension and have it actually be an extension that you do now instead? And so, for example, um, one of our Q&A things later is about Google Cast. Well, Google Cast is now an extension. If I click Google Cast, it pops up this Google Cast window where I can let other people project their computer to my screen. Google Cast was a web app. That's an example of what a web app was. And the only way you could get to it in the past was you would go to the apps button and you would go find you know, Google Cast in your list of web apps and you would launch it from there. Well, Google converted it from a web app to a web extension so that as the apps go away, you can still use it. 
So my guess is there are going to be some really cool tools that whoever developed them just doesn't have the time or the energy or the money or the interest in converting them. And so eventually when that date comes, that 2020, June 2020, there will be some Chrome apps that just ride off into the sunset and we don't have an actual replacement for them. But uh, So if there are schools that are still relying on that, please be aware. If your kids are going to their Chromebooks and they're going to the apps launcher and they're launching certain you know Chrome apps, uh, those are going to um, go away as of June 22. All right. All right, let's see, what do we have next here? Um, oh, the um, originality reports and the rubrics in Classroom ha are coming out of beta. Um, so for those who did not join the beta, good news, you'll now have access to these two tools. For those who really love originality reports, bad news, <laughs> they're coming out of beta, which means they're no, no longer going to be unlimited. They were unlimited usage during the beta. So let me explain what we mean by that. Um, so these two main tools we're talking about here, one is rubrics, which basically in classroom, you can now create a rubric uh, to go along with any assignment and then use that rubric to grade the assignment. There have been a lot of tools that have done this, Orange Slice, uh, Gubric, RyQ, different tools like that. Well, now we have a rubric natively built right into Classroom um, so that you can create a rubric, copy it, share it, export it, import it into another classroom, and use it over and over and over again when grading students' assignments. Thumbs up, awesome, great. Uh, the other tool is what they call originality reports. And basically that's like if you've ever used like turnitin.com, one of those services to check for plagiarism. Basically an originality report takes a student's document and it checks it against the entire internet and sees does it match other things on the internet and have they properly cited where those things came from or did they copy paste things into the document and not properly cited or put it into their own words. Well, the idea behind originality reports is not a gotcha kind of thing. The idea is for the students to run them themselves so that they can check on their own writing and be like, oh boy, this report is telling me I, I obviously did not cite that properly. I need to go back in and make sure I've got my proper you know, footnote or whatever in note in there. Um, but then the teachers can also run them as well to check on student documents. Here's where the gotcha comes in. And remember, we had the conversation earlier about G Suite Enterprise. So here's, here's one of them. Stephanie had mentioned that originality reports are one of the benefits of the paid version of G Suite for Education. So the way it works is if you're like 99.9% .9 of probably every school out there and you're using the free version of G Suite for Education, there will be a limit. You will be able to run three originality reports per Google Class Per year. So if you've got five Google classes, each one of them, you can run three originality reports. That's 15, you know, times you can do that. You know, so each class though has a limit of three assignments that, that you can use this on. So you might pick like if it's a class where you've got a really big term paper at semester break, and then you've got a big paper near the end of the year, and then you just want to do one early in the year. That's more of a, an example for the kids to get used to how this works. You may say those are the three, one where we kind of figure it out, one at, you know, semester break and one near the end of the year. Um, I would imagine <laughs> there's going to be some folks that are be like, well, then I'm just going to make more classes. <laughs> I'm going to do semester one and semester two. 
I think you could do that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't see why that would be a problem. Then you would get double the originality reports. You know, you could just, you know, make a new Google Classroom each nine weeks or make a new one at semester break. I know some people already do that, not to try to get around anything like that, but because of grades, because they want to have, uh, they don't want the grades to uh, accumulate throughout the whole year. They want, you know, each nine weeks to have its own unique great at the end of that nine weeks. So that's something to consider. Uh, but if you pay for G Suite Enterprise, you have unlimited use of originality reports. So just heads up, you're allowed to use them, but it's going to be limited to three. Because it's coming out of beta, that's why we're going to get that limitation now. During the beta period, there was not any limitation. And it looks like um, we're getting a date of around... February 3rd for when it's starting to roll out. So that would be the end of that beta. Anything to add to that, Stephanie? I think you covered it. Um, it will also search for other students like in the class or previous years, I believe too, in the originality reports. So that is part, yeah, but only enterprise. Yeah. Only enterprise gets that. You are right. So right now, the free version limits you to three of them a year, and it is a search against the internet, like it's searching your document against every web page out there. With the enterprise version, they can also do one where you just search against, um, I don't know if it's and or, but you are able to search against previously submitted work from other students. So basically, year after year after year, as more and more students submit things, you're building your own domain-wide database of previously submitted writings. So if there's, you know, unfortunately, a you know, student who's like, oh, my older sibling took this class two years ago, I'm just going to submit, you know, what they wrote. Well, it would catch that because it would be comparing that against what was submitted uh, previously. So, but that is just uh, going to be um, for enterprise. Yep. All right. All right. What's up next? Next one is creativity apps. Um, so this is really exciting because we use WeVideo to um, help with the video creation. So we buy so many licenses and then it's based on seats. So if one class is using it during a semester, they can use those seats of 30 students. And then let's say next semester, they don't need it. We can take those 30 seats and give them to another class. So I kind of like the way that we video allows that. Um, we have book creator in our elementaries and we pay for that. But in our middle school, we just use the free version. And so a lot of these websites, there's free, um, like the squid one and the painter. But some of them, you, there are paid versions of them and you'll have to buy like a subscription for it to have those different sites and you can now manage them in the Google admin console. So you can go and you can decide, you know, which grade, what apps, and do you turn it on or off those licenses based on what that um, group of students need. And then you can also see the license usage for um, that different website. Yeah. You know, I think Google is trying to answer the question, or trying to address the concern that I hear people say sometimes, you know, like, you know, can you be creative on a Chromebook? Well, I mean, you know the answer is yes. I know the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Probably everybody listening to this knows that. But I think sometimes there's that preconceived idea that, well, if you want to be creative, you need an iPad. And I, I'm not 
dissing iPads at all. Again, we all play in the same sandbox together. Anything that helps students learn and create, I am all in favor of. But you do hear that sometimes like, oh, well, if you want to be creative, you got to buy them iPads. You know, you can't be creative on a Chromebook. And that's just unfortunate that, you know, that, that, that thought would, 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 would permeate and would exist because, you know, a Chromebook can do amazing things as well. And this is, I think, Google trying to address that a little bit, say, okay, we're going to find for you some of the best creativity apps out there, and we're going to package them together in, you know, a lower cost. Now, I don't know what the costs are. It looks like you have to do the contact us thing and say, hey, I'm interested in buying these. I did not, as I looked through the site, ever come across something that just flat out said, and this is the price that it'll be. But the point is, it's a it's a package. You know, here's these creativity apps. You can get, you know, the, uh, in, the Infinite Painter for artwork, Squid for notes and diagrams, Book Creator. Again, the, the paid version rather than the, you know, the free version. We Video, wonderful for video editing, Soundtrap for music and podcasts, Explain Everything for screencasts. And so it allows you to be able to purchase these at a reduced cost, and then, like you said, manage them through the admin console so that um, people can, um, you know, easily give the apps to the different grades that that need them, and hopefully address that question about can you be creative on a Chromebook? Yes, you can. Here are some awesome tools that you can use for that. Yeah, mm -hmm. very good. All right, clean up a couple of my tabs here. And that brings us to, speaking of Chromebooks, <laughs> now we get a lot more life out of them. So um, this, this blog post was saying, hey, heads up, um, Google is going to be extending the um, amount of years that Chromebooks are supported. I think by now, many of us have Chromebooks that have gone outside of that window. And basically, those Chromebooks still function, but they no longer get updates. So like, I got some of those really old silver Samsungs from, you know, way back. Well, they don't get updates anymore. And you could say, well, that's okay. I'll still use that Chromebook, but now I just don't get updates. Well, unfortunately, that, you know, opens up some security holes, and that's probably not a good idea to be using a Chromebook that's not getting security updates. Plus, some things will stop, you know, functioning the way they should. Well, in the past, you know, I think, what was it? Google said, oh, we'll support a Chromebook for like three years or something with guaranteed updates. And school's like, yeah, that's not a lot of time. And so now it looks like the newest ones are getting up to eight years of support. So that's wonderful. Um, I mean, when you think about having a Chromebook last eight years, I mean, any device, I don't care what laptop it is, if you put it in the hands of students, you know, usually we're like, hey, we can get five years out of that. That's, that's pretty solid, you know. We would love to be able to do that, you know. But now hearing that we're going to get, you know, uh, extended life on a lot of Chromebooks, and you know, even up to eight years is certainly a um, a benefit for school. So I'm really glad to see that. Oh yes, <laughs> uh, and there are a couple other caveats with it. The license is being renamed. Yes, you are right, and they are they are increasing the cost of the license. I'm sorry, I I, I forgot to mention that too. Um, along with the eight years of coverage, the fact that it's extending the life of it, the base cost. It used to be $30 for a uh, management license. 
it's now going to be $38. Now, that doesn't mean you're really going to pay $38 because it's that's just the suggested price. I don't know anytime we've bought through any of the resellers, CDWG or whoever, um, it's typically less than that. And so it probably won't be $38. It'll be, you know, $34, $36, $30 something, but it won't be, you know, what it used to be, which was $30 per license. And right, it's not being called a Chromebook management license anymore. It's being called a Chrome education upgrade. <laughs> so uh, good to know. All right. Um, let's see. What's up next, Stephanie? Looks like we're getting close to the end of our updates here. Yeah. Um, it looks like the Translate app. Okay. So this um, will take your translation and it will kind of, you know, put it into a document and then you could record it and review it at a later time or um, to see what you've missed. It looks like you can also make the text, you know, customized, so like bigger or smaller, which might help with that um, accessibility. Yeah. And then you can choose a theme. And you could show the original text of what was there and then um, after the translate. Yeah, so this one looks very, let's see, what was the name of the app? Let me check real quick on my phone because I've got this app on my phone. Um, I think we even shared this a couple months ago. Um, Google has an app do, 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 called, here's Live Transcribe, that's what it was called. So yeah. Google has an app called Live Transcribe, which is its own standalone app. And this, yeah, this is this is what it does. Basically, well, this goes further now, but Live Transcribe is an app that listens and basically closed captions life. <laughs> and I tried this out. I was at a um, I was at a dinner with a bunch of folks, and I clicked on Live Transcribe, and I set the phone down in the middle of the table. And as everybody was talking, it was basically co closed captioning our entire conversation. You know, it would just, on the phone, you know, you could see this running list of everybody speaking. And it did a really good job of picking folks up. So it looks like what Google's doing is they're taking that live transcribe feature, and now they're putting it inside of the Google Translate app. So it's doing captioning, but it's doing translation at the same time. So while somebody is speaking, it's going to close caption everything they're saying, and it's going to translate it into the language you want. Very nice. Very, very nice. Love it. All right. Um, I do see a couple of comments. We'll probably want to swing back and check a couple of those. Uh, but the last one uh, that I had here, and then I'll throw this back over to you, is uh, Google has launched a site called Tangy. <laughs> yeah, this looks really cool. Tangy, Tangy. Uh, um, it's a um, a website where you're allowed to put up videos, but they can only be one minute long at the longest, and they have to be on topics such as art, cooking, DIY, fashion, and lifestyle. So it sounds like at first glance, maybe that's a little bit outside of just education, you know, more like, you know, personal use. But I don't know, you think about art, you think about having art students wanting to do some really cool art projects. Well, here's all of these videos that are about creating art projects, but they have to be no more than a minute long. So what a neat way to give kids a really short, 
quick video showing how to do like an art project that then they can um, go ahead and um, follow and, and do. And even if, even if this is mostly, you know, art and things like that, um, I still like the whole idea of a one minute video. Maybe this could also be serve as a inspiration for having students make their own one minute videos where they explain something. So, so maybe it's a concept from science class or summarizing a story and just saying, watch these videos here and see how these, you know, creators boil something down into a minute or less. And then can you do the same thing? Can you explain something that concisely in just a minute? So even if you don't use the site as, you know, content that, you know, it could just be inspiration, but it definitely could be useful in a um, art class. Yeah, and I think too, with the makerspace movement getting really popular, maybe this could be yeah. added to it. Good point. Yeah, the DIY then, stuff. Yeah, you could do some challenges, I'm sure, and then have kids create their own, just like you said. I like it. All right, what's our last one here then, Stephanie? So the last one is Hangout Meets. Um, it's an, they're now giving an option to use your phone for audio. So you can still get on during a call using your computer, but you could use your phone rather than your computer audio. And I think um, Abid said he is from London, and I think he was saying that it's useful, you know, if you're in the U.S. However, some places might need that. Um, it's only for United States numbers. Okay. And since we do have some international friends tuning in. Well, this is, this is interesting. Um, so I, I have a colleague here who was mentioning this to me just the other day and his take on it was, he was saying, might this be useful if you were doing a hangout where you had a group of people in a room together? So a lot of times we'll do that. We'll have, you know, one location connecting to another location and um, it's just, you know, two locations connecting, but it's not two people. It's like, oh, I'm in this room with 30 people and we've got our connection to this other room. And what if different people would like to speak during the meeting? Well, you could have a phone, have that connected to the Hangout and just pass the phone around the room anytime somebody needed to speak. And anybody in the room would be able to very easily be heard because it's like just, you know, it's like a microphone on a really long, you know, cord. Uh, now the phone can just be basically a wireless mic that you can pass around the room so anybody can can talk. Or if you were doing a, I don't know, you know, a mystery location, you know, hangout between your school and, and, and another, another school, or you were doing, you know, um, you know, a, a mystery, you know, career or something like that. And you were connecting with, um, with somebody who was um, on the other end, all the different students in your class, rather than having to walk up to the computer to speak into the microphone, you could just pass a phone around. Hmm. It would capture that audio a lot better. Dan also that some of the teachers might have a desktop computer and they don't have a microphone or speaker plugged into those computers. So now they're able to connect. Very good. Well, let's go ahead and see. It looks like we've got a couple of comments in here. I want to make sure we didn't miss any of them. I think we hit a lot of them there. I do see there was a note put in about AppMaker being shut down. Now, I've not used AppMaker. I don't know if any schools have. I remember when it came out being, you know, touted as an easy way to create apps from Google. Um, 
the note we have here is that AppSheet was purchased and the AppMaker creator is a Googler now. The issue with AppMaker was the difficulty in getting people to start using it. AppSheet is a simple start and with the power of AppMaker behind it, we'll see some amazing products. All right, so even though AppMaker is being shut down, AppSheet looks like a worthy successor that is a little simpler to use and um, hopefully will um, get more traction. Thank you for sharing that. All right, well, if we missed anything during this portion, um, we definitely um, will ask you guys to throw some questions or comments in there. Um, having said that, we want to be sensitive to the time that we have left here, and we also wanna make sure that Alex, get, Alex gets a chance uh, to uh, chat with us here. Um, and I wanna make sure, I don't know if, uh, I don't think Alex has jumped Yes, Alex has jumped in. I do believe Alex has jumped in. Um, I've been trying to keep an eye on the uh, Zoom uh, numbers here. And so what we're gonna do is um, gonna go ahead and uh, take a little bit of time and make sure that Alex can go ahead and, and share with us. And then we will circle back and try to catch some of the other things that we have here because uh, we, we do want to talk about, you know, some of the fun show and tell items that we have. And then we got some awesome, great Q&A things here. Um, but we absolutely want to give Alex time to share with us. Um, and so, uh, Alex, um, if, if you want, go ahead and give us maybe a, an introduction about, you know, who you are and, and, and what you're doing. And we'd love to have you uh, share with us here today. Great. Thank you, Eric and Stephanie. Uh, so recently I had a chance to talk with Stephanie on her podcast, Get Inspired and Innovate. And we had talked about some ways to increase student mastery and show higher level thinking skills. So just some background on me. I'm a technology integration specialist in Cuyahoga Falls. That's in Ohio. And so my role as an integration specialist is to increase students' technology competencies through professional development of integration strategies but like my philosophy for using technology in school is engaging students to become creators, use higher level thinking skills and promote student choice. So back when I was an educator in the classroom, I taught sixth grade math and I continually found resources that would, I would want to use with my students. And so as a way to save them, I would just put them on a website, kind of save them for my own use, but then share them sporadically with my colleagues. And over time I kept, trying to find ones that would increase my students' um, higher level thinking skills. So through time and all these different resources, I started putting together as I was learning about the SAMR model, um, which SAMR model basically means instead of just using tech for tech's sake, SAMRs, the S would be using tech as just a pure substitute. And what that means is then you would, instead of typing, I should say, instead of writing a doc, uh, a paper, you would type it out. And so to kind of illustrate that, the resource, the resource link I have, uh, it's, it's linked there. I kind of started to put these together in like my own little puzzle piece matrix as a way just to share with my staff how they could use different apps or programs and reach different levels of thinking skills. So I was kind of talking about instead of just writing a paper, substitution of a handwritten paper would be typing it on a Google Doc. Well, that doesn't really get you very far for increasing higher level thinking skills using technology. But we all know a Google Doc, you could then share it and you could peer edit it. 
and there's other apps that allow you to um, start a paper and then the next person can use writing and then all the way up to like peer grade and flip snap. So I'm going to click on this link. This is the first one I've done, um, but it kind of explains what the SAMR model is and how substitution occurs, some pros and cons, and then ways that you can use those same tech skills, but use different options and different apps to reach what's called redefinition. That is excellent. Um, I know we talk a lot about SAMR in a lot of you know trainings. That is a common thing to come up. And to make it practical, though, is I think so, so important because so many times it can feel kind of abstract, you know, so I get the idea of, you know, moving from substitution, augmentation, modification, redefinition, but what does it actually mean? What does it look like? So um, you've done this for an awful lot of tools, but you're saying as far as then doing the part where you, you know, really write out the examples of the handwritten papers is the first one you've begun with on that? Yeah, so again, each of these are pages. So each icon kind of will take you to an example of student work. So for example, I'm gonna use hand-drawn image as an example. And I'll go up to storyboard that, which is one we have some of our middle schoolers use. So this is the original page. I would kind of find a tool that I liked, maybe write some directions about it, collect some student examples, and then as I continued doing this, I was thinking of different ways our teachers could use these tech tools and also ways that we could use higher level thinking skills. So that's where this grid kind of got pieced together. And I want to make it clear, the grid, these should not be locked into, you know, just because, you know, I, I put slides down here as substitution. Slides could be way more than that. So I always kind of talk about in my presentations that it's about the use, not the app itself. And so you could use a lot of these different tools, you know, slides, you could come over here as an assessment if you, you, you do it with Pear Deck, or you could take, you know, Google Classroom and you could bring it in, um, you know, over to discussion. But kind of in their most common use and the way we use them, um, I kind of put them in this box just as a way for teachers to kind of look at it and not be overwhelmed, but have a place to start. So if they keep hearing their administrators talk about depth of knowledge and they want to find different tools to increase those levels, they might jump onto this, look at some student examples and see if it fits for their classroom. I love how you provide student examples. I think that really helps educators and students because then they can say, okay, this is what an exemplar looks like and this is what I should aim to try to do. Thank you. So the other thing we do this a lot with and, and kind of the way I pieced it together, um, I'm a big proponent in student choice and not necessarily letting students do whatever they want for a project, but instead of giving them one option to show mastery and always being the way you want to see it, to give them a few options and that way they can choose whether they want to explore a new tool, if they like video creation. And, and a lot of times the example I'll use is simply just give them two options. And if it's to retell a story, some students might just want to rewrite the story and some students might want to make a video or a cartoon. Um, so some of the tools on here, teachers can look at this and kind of click through and decide, okay, this might be a choice I want to show to my students. So we use WeVideo a lot. 
Um, WeVideo is a simple online video editor. So they might click on the page, look at a few of the resources, look at some examples, and then decide, is that something they want to allow your, their students to choose to show their mastery? And, and I encourage my teachers, you know, when you make your rubric, you don't need to include the tool. You want to, you want to include the skills that you're trying to um, see from your kids that they've mastered on your content. And it shouldn't matter how they show it to you as long as they can show it to you. So whether it's through writing, making a video, you know, an example podcast, whatever the case may be, if we give the students a few choices, um, it increases their motivation. A lot of times we get better products and it, it actually, a lot of the teachers like how they're not grading the same dry thing all the time. They're getting um, more and more from their students. Yeah, that's a really good point to, uh, to encourage teachers to, you know, give that student choice. Just like you're saying, you know, yeah, if we say, hey, everybody, we're going to do a, you know, a three-paragraph essay, and that's what everybody's going to do. Might be, you know, you might be able to grade through them kind of quick because there are a lot of consistency there, but it's also the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, what, a, what an awesome way to, you know, encourage that variety and, uh, and as a teacher to get to see um, so many different products. Um, right. Well, and like you, you just mentioned a three paragraph essay. I don't want language teachers to then um, be, be throwing their book across the room because they still have to include a lot of the writing skills, even to make a video. Absolutely. And, and, and one of the things, this is actually built on a Google site. It's usually how I choose to present. Um, but we have students use Google sites. We had mentioned, I, I sorry, you guys mentioned earlier, all the updates to Google sites. Well, a lot of times we'll have our students use Google Sites to turn in a, let's say, a multifaceted project. So this one, oh, sorry. Sometimes our students change some settings. Um, I'll click up to this one. Oh, no. Well, let me explain, That's I guess okay. I should say. <laughs> um, these are all student examples of uh, Google Sites, but what they've done is they've included multiple tiered and multiple um, tech skills. They would be writing on those sites. They would be, let's see if this one, there we go. Um, they'd be writing on the site. They'd be including pictures. They would maybe create a video or find a video that helps explain their concept. And this was kind of an entry level project where each group took a different world problem and then together they collaborated to create a page that they would then share with their classmates. And we kind of propose it as, you know, think of a sixth grader in a different state that might search for tsunami mitigation and they might find your page. Um, so we included a lot of those built-in skills. So a language arts teacher doesn't need to be turned off by giving student choice. They could just have it be part of their, um, part of their assignment as like a menu. You know, choice boards are very popular, and so are menus where, like, a student does a few things and they piece together parts to make an entire project. Well, that is awesome. It's a wonderful, like I said, practical way to, you know, look at SAMR and look at these different types of projects and uh, really see what an end result could look like, what a project could look like. Um, really definitely going to include this in stuff that I share on SAMR. Uh, I, I can see that really helping uh, people to make this much more practical. 
Thank you. And I'm always looking for things that we use. I don't just want to put something on there that I've heard about or that, uh, you know, I saw a post on. I try to try it first, you know, see what works for us, try to include student examples if I can, um, and then, you know, share it out when possible. And the other part of this I just wanted to mention real quick is that, you know, a lot of these tools are built in Google, right? So we've got Google Docs and Sheets and um, Sites and many others are Google enabled um, logins. So you would just log in with your Google account. Um, but I always want to caution teachers that, you know, we've got to be careful about the SIPA and COPA compliance. Um, so one of the things I did, it's actually at the bottom of this page too, is when I either get an update or see an update, um, I'll try to document it here that has each, each of the apps that or websites that we're using and or, or thought about using and then looking at their laws, especially for those under 13. So for example, we have some high school students that'll use Anchor um, to create a podcast. Well, my sixth graders should not be using Anchor because in their privacy policy, they say they should not. Um, some apps uh, like Actively Learn say that they can if they have parent or guardian consent. So I try to update this as well. If I see an email from you know, one of these apps that says they've updated, I'll kind of click in, check to make sure that this part hasn't updated. Um, but this is a good tool for our teachers or anybody who's looking to stay COPA and SIPA compliant. Yeah, I like how you keep that updated because there's so many changes and it's so hard to keep up with all the different websites. Yeah, that's very valuable. Uh, I know that question comes up a lot with schools and what a nice, uh, easy place to go. Now, the uh, dates that you have there, they look like they're hyperlinked. Does that take you? Yeah. So if you, if you were to click, I was going to scroll. I just did one the other day. If you click on any of the dates, it actually takes you to that page um, so that you can find it and look at, Perfect. again, these are only related to terms of use um, and the privacy policies related to student use and the age of 13. Um, so I don't remember which one I just updated, but if we just clicked on this one, this was the last time that they had an update out. Gotcha. Um, and if I didn't see one, then there's a good one to update. Awesome. So, all right. Well, again, thank you so much for sharing that, all of that. That's, that's fantastic. Um, to make sure that everybody can get to this, certainly if they're already in our document, yep. if they scroll to the bottom, they're going to be able to access the resource link you have there. Um, in general, though, it uh, looks like, um, would they be able to go through your website? Sure. Also, so, yeah, that's where I started collecting okay. like some of those posts and resources. So if they went to mrorristech.com, okay. um, they should find the homepage, which it's right there on the homepage. And then um, they could contact me on Twitter at Mr. Oris Tech or the email address Mr. Oris Tech at gmail.com. It looks like you've got some upcoming presentations here. What are some things, where will you be and what will you be doing? So at um, the Ohio Educational Technology Conference in, in just a couple of weeks, I'll be presenting uh, Activate Your Learners with Tech. So some of those same ideas, but that's um, looking at how we can transform our students from being passive in the classroom and, and to make them active through technology. And then the other one at Neotech uh, in March, and then um, when they send out the calendar for the ITIP Ohio Google Summit, we'll be talking about the tech effect on achievement. 
Um, so what tech tools or what strategies, more, more strategies actually have a role on achievement um, with technology? Excellent. And then as you listened in to things we were sharing earlier, um, was there anything that you wanted to comment on from um, any of the uh, updates or any of the topics, uh, anything that you saw that you wanted to jump in on? And you certainly can hang out with us for the rest of the time and, and jump in as well. But I just wanted to give you a, a moment if there's something sure. you, felt you wanted to, uh, to reference or comment on. Yeah, the only thing I added, um, I just had a teacher yesterday that told me one of her lessons went really well because we used QR codes around her room um, to basically give station directions. So if you've ever tried to do stations with your class, you know you might give the directions to everybody at once, send them to their stations, and then you have to go around and repeat those directions every single time to every single group at every single station. So what she did is she created a, uh, whether it's through Flipgrid or just a uh, video. Um, she read the directions to her, to the group, created a video, and then posted a QR code on the wall at that station so that they can scan it with their Chromebook or their smart device and listen to those directions again. And we actually hung um, a poster that looks like this. So they scanned the directions and then there was a second part where they would scan for the resource if it was to go to a web page or if it was to go you know, look at a series of pictures that would help them with their, uh, that, that part of their station. So I, inc I included that in there. Thank you. That's excellent. And since you two are experts, I just got to know, because I just found this <laughs> the other day. Um, do you use Windows V as a shortcut? No. No, I don't. Okay, so I, I must have stumbled on this, and I don't know if anybody out there is using it. Um, but I, I typically would go, you know, select some text. I don't think I could do it on your screen, Eric, but the idea is you select some text and you would copy it. Mm -hmm. And then there's another thing you want to copy, but you'd have to copy and paste and go back and copy and paste. Well, the tool, it's called clipboard history. It's built into Windows 10. And if you went to your display settings, this little GIF will show you. If you go to display settings, choose clipboard and turn on uh, this clipboard history, you can copy multiple items. And then when you want to paste, instead of control V, you use Windows V, and then you could choose from your clipboard history, what things you want to paste. And I use that all the time now. Um, so there is one for Chrome. It's uh -huh. called clip, clipboard history pro. And what that does, it just stores all of your copies so that you can go back and choose which ones you want to paste when. That's really neat. Um, I know years ago, we used to have a feature in Chrome that unfortunately, sometimes Google, you know, gets rid of things. Uh, but actually, I should say in Chrome, but in, in, the, in the docs, slides, sheets, suite. Um, and that was the web clipboard. And so yes. we used to be able to go up and go, you know, edit, copy or edit, copy to web clipboard. And, and then you could copy it, like you said, as many things as you wanted. And they were stored, you know, in the web, in the cloud for you. And so until I, you know, you know, I think there was like, they were, they, they would eventually expire if you, if you didn't, uh, I think it was like a 30 day expiration or something on them. But the point is, not only could I access all the different things that I had copied, 
I could go to a different computer. And as long as I'm logged into my Google account, my web clipboard followed me. It was so nice and they killed it. <laughs> they got yeah. rid of it. Well, actually that I haven't used it very much to try it like that, but clipboard history does, it does have that where you can go between computers okay. How and nice. because it's a tool, um, an add on in your web yeah. browser, yeah. as long as you're logged into that account, yeah. you can access your clipboard history. But I, I just copy and paste so much from resource to resource or to create you know, new assignments. Um, I thought, man, to be able to copy two or three things, then go and paste them one at a time, such a time saver. Well, I'm going to try that out. And I see Dan threw in the chat that um, just pressing the Windows V key seems to uh, pop up an option to ask if you want to turn it on. If you don't Ooh, have it nice turned on. So that would even let you not even have to dig through the settings to turn it on. Right, even so. easier. Very good. Well, Alex, thank you again so much. Um, those are all uh, such valuable resources. Um, uh, I have uh, really been uh, inspired by what you shared here today. I'm certainly going to share this uh, on to others, and I look forward to seeing you at all these conferences. All right. Sounds um, great. Thanks for having me. Great. Keep um, up the great work. Well, thank you for being a part of it because, you know, like I said, everybody here today who has contributed has made this a, a much better uh, uh, meeting than uh, the two of us could have done on our own. Um, and so, Stephanie and I, thank you so much. Yeah, thank okay. you, Alex. Yep, thank you. Take care. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's decide how we want to finish the rest of our time because we are going to, again, try to be, um, you know, be sensitive to people's schedules. And we always say that uh, we, we won't go over two hours. Uh, sometimes it's only an hour and a half, sometimes hour 45, but uh, th three o'clock would be our, uh, our official end. So we do have a little bit of time here, about 20 minutes left. Um, so I think we would like to at least touch on a couple of things. Um, the two things we would normally do at this point would be the Q&A show and tell. Now, I, clearly we don't have enough time to get through every single thing in both. So um, maybe we'll pick just a couple things out of show and tell that um, really stood out to us this last month. And we can highlight those. Basically, show and tell is where we um, you know, share some neat Google extension or a neat blog we came across or a neat project. Um, and so if there's some in there, Stephanie, that you think, you know, you would really like to, to mention, uh, think about that. I'll, I'll do the same thing. Uh, see which, you know, you know, two of those perhaps or, or so that we would want to mention. And then with Q and a, um, wow, <laughs> we have never had this many things in Q and a before. Uh, we'll try to, take a look at a, a couple of those um, and see if uh, we can provide some feedback now. If not, <laughs> which we will run out of time, um, we will definitely go through these afterwards and um, add in some comments. And then other people that are you know, in the meeting, you can do the same. Uh, this is an editable document. It will turn into a comment only document later, but you can always leave comments then to answer some of these. So um, with show and tell, Stephanie, were there some things that you really were excited about in particular that you would like to draw attention? Yeah, I'm gonna share three of them um, okay. real quick. So Stop, Breathe, Listen is like a meditation website and it's just free for educators. Um, so I just wanted to share that resource. I thought it was really cool. I know there's other websites that also um, have this free for educators like with the meditation. And so I just thought people could sign up if you're interested. 
Oh, that's wonderful. I am definitely in my own life trying to incorporate a lot more mindfulness. Just went to a meditation session last night, actually, and um, did um, trying to do more of that and trying to get a lot more, um, you know, uh, of, of mindfulness and stuff into my life. So thank you. Um, and that is free for educators. Mm -hmm. Lifetime membership. And then the next one I wanted to share was the writing roadmap. Um, one of my teachers created this and I thought it was really cool. Um, she used Google, I believe, Draw. And what she did with it is she made like a game show thing. And we found the template on Twitter. I forget who shared it. Okay. But using the template, um, she mapped out her writing. And I just thought it was really cool how she did it because she thought of everything. And I think sometimes we assume students know when they don't. So for example, they start and they have to think of a topic um, of their paragraph and they have to brainstorm ideas and they have to think of a hook, their thesis. And I love how she puts teacher check-ins in. And then she also put in, you know, add to transition words. We assume students are going to do that and then they don't. And then we get upset. Um, so I love how she kind of put that in her roadmap as like, you need to stop and do that. And then she also had the parents edit the work and she had like a different um, page for them to do that. And then she reminded them, use spell check, use Google Read and Write. And I just thought it was a really good idea because so often we just think students know what to do with their writing and they don't think about all those little steps. That is such a thorough um, uh, process. And I, I love how some of these are hyperlinks as well. So it'll take them to additional resources um, on those. Excellent. And then the final thing, this just came out, I think last night. Um, Clay Smith, he was part of the London cohort and he created his Google Innovator project and he is using the Google Assistant and he has an action where it now says create a document called and you can do all this by using your own voice and it will create documents it sounds like. So he's looking for beta testers. Oh, that's awesome. So some custom Google Assistant actions like create a document, announce to my class, and then that will do exactly that. Oh, and he cool. is like a genius, so I'm sure it works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So he's looking for people to try this out right now? Yeah, so he's, look, he's kind of in the testing phase of his project to make okay. sure it works, um, to get feedback on what teachers need. If he, they, he needs to create more um, actions for the Google Assistant, he probably would do that. Um, so he's just kind of looking for any honest feedback and people that can test it out to make sure it's going to work pretty well. Oh, that's so neat. Very excited to. Yep, there we go. Here's, uh, please consider joining the beta, the, the beta test. Awesome. Well, those are really neat. I will clean up a few of my tabs here because again, I end up getting too many tabs open. Um, so uh, a couple that I might mention here that, you know, caught my eye over um, the last month or so. Uh, I'll just mention two of them uh, real quick here. Um, one is the picture-in-picture -picture extension for Chrome. Um, so this is an extension that gives you an easier way to do something that's been kind of hidden away. It, it's been there, it's existed, but it was kind of hidden away. And that is to pop open a video outside of YouTube so it floats on top of everything else. Now, 
you could do this in the past. So like if I head over to YouTube um, and we'll just uh, grab whatever comes up here, um, find something <laughs> hopefully appropriate. Here we have a puppy. You know, can't go wrong with a puppy, right? Okay. So um, oh, we'll skip our ad here once this uh, gets past. There we go. So in the past, if you had a video and you wanted to pop it out, you could right-click two times on the video. And so it was kind of buried away. Right-click once, right-click a second time, and then picture-in-picture picture would pop up. You could click on that, and it would pop that video out. And now that video would float on top of everything. And whoops, if I can grab the corner of it, you can make it bigger, smaller, but it would actually float above everything else. You could watch the video while doing work. So if you're watching an instructional video and then trying to work on it, you could follow the, the, the directions while working on it or taking notes on a video. You could be typing up the directions while watching it. So that has always existed, but the problem was, you know, knowing it was there. And I think folks just didn't realize it. So this extension, picture in picture, just makes it a lot easier. Basically, as long as you have the extension, you go to any YouTube video and just click the extension and it will pop it right out for you. Um, very simple. Um, instead of having to do that, double right click and um, just an easier way to get to that. Uh, and then the other one I was going to mention um, was that Screencastify, which I've talked about so many times. I talk a lot about it, and I think we mentioned it already today a couple of times. Um, it has They have updated their pricing. Um, and this was something that we knew was coming for a while, because if you're a Screencastify user, over the last maybe six months, you probably noticed you'd go in to use it, and it would say different things <laughs> about like what the free version could do. Like For a while, they were going to limit how many um, how many videos you could you know do in a month? So it was like okay, you can only do fifty videos a month, and then they were going to limit how many you could save in a month. And they were they were you know kind of like ABC testing different things. Well, what they wound up with, I think, is a is a is a wonderful. So if, if they had to make a change, hats off to them. They've made a really good change here. So basically, Screencastify, you can still you know purchase it as as normal if you want the you know the the full unlimited version but the free version of screencastify it now does have a limit that's a little shorter on how long the videos can be they can only be five minutes long it used to be 10 minutes but that's okay i don't have any problem with that because five minutes is probably fine for most videos anyway and if you need more just make a second or third video but what's wonderful about it is they've now removed all of the restrictions other than just the fact that it's a five minute video, which means you've now picked up the premium features. Like for example, you can now trim your videos and you know do, do um, editing to them that you couldn't do in the past because that was a premium feature. The ability to export it as a GIF, so you can make animated GIFs out of your videos. Um, you know, uh, no, no watermark on the video, things like that that were part of the paid version are now included in the free version. So no watermark, export as a, as a GIF if you want, trim, you know, do, do some trimming and editing to your videos. And really the only restriction now is five minutes in length. Um, still definitely nice to, you know, to consider the unlimited version if you need to make, you know, longer videos than that. But for education especially, oh my gosh, being able to do these quick five minute videos and have all the extra features, 
is really exciting. So thanks to Screencastify for where they landed on that change. That yeah, and we tried it with some students. You do have to click a button if you've already had Screencastify. And it right. says like continue to the light, just so you are aware. Um, it is okay to click that button and you will get all those other features. The students will lose access to the 10 minute video. And we did have a kid get upset because he's a video game kiddo and he likes to record yeah. those games. <laughs> so just be aware that you do have to click that link. Yeah, and I think um, eventually they, say they gave a certain date that everybody would get moved over to the free version if they don't. But you're right, you can go in and click on, when you click on the Screencastify extension, I've already up dated mine, but if not, um, it'll pop up here and say, are you ready to switch over to the new free version? There's a, some date, I think sometime in February that eventually everybody will get switched over whether they choose to or not. All right, well, wonderful. Let's take a quick look at the Q&A and see if there was anything we could answer in the next couple of minutes here. I know some of these we have, we have addressed, we talked about doing a, uh, doodle, uh, doodle version in, in, in Google Calendar for scheduling. I know we talked about that. Um, what else do we have here? Um, uh, I have been able to send pages to my phone from my Chromebook, but not seeing it as a feature on my Android Pixel 2. Hmm. Um, I know I have sent pages back and forth as well. I know if I'm in my browser and I right click, I can send it to any account that uh, any other device I'm logged into. I, if I hear this question right, they're saying going the other direction. Um, so they said, I'm able to send it to my phone from my Chromebook, but not seeing it as a feature on my Android Pixel 2. So um, I believe I've done that from my phone as well, but I think it was a little bit of a different um, workflow. I think Stephanie, have you done it that other direction? Um, I was trying to do it right now. Because I think it was under the share option, I think. It might have been. Um, let me see. Um, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I believe I've done it. If I click on the share option, I thought maybe that's where it was. Let me see. Um, this, this makes for a really engaging, I know, my, yeah. as I'm scrolling through my phone here, for like, oh, yep, there it is, okay. So I did, so here, here's, here's the deal on the phone. And I can't say for sure if there's something specifically about the Android Pixel 2 that doesn't do this. I've got an old Samsung Galaxy S8, so mine's not fancy. If I'm in Chrome, so I've got the Chrome app, the Chrome app, if I, if I go to any web page and I click the three dots in the top right corner and I choose share, when I choose share and I scroll down all the sharing options, one of the options is send to device. And that's how I send it over to a uh, laptop or a desktop from the phone. So I have done that. And that was the, that was the method I went. So, well, I don't know. If and mine, because I have a Pixel, I think I have the Pixel 3. Mine's under share too. Okay. But it has like the Chrome symbol and it says send to you. Okay. So it's worded a little differently. Okay. I don't know if that helps that person. Okay. All right. Um, well, a couple others that um, I feel that we probably have at least an answer that we can give a little bit to. I do see somebody asked if we have any recommendations for cleaning products for Chromebooks, screens, and keyboards. And they did mention that they wanted some green recommendations, so something that, you know, would hopefully be environmentally friendly. Um, I 
don't know if this is. I hope it is. This is what I bought. This is the particular um, screen cleaning um, uh, product that I bought from Amazon. Um, and I still have it. It's a pretty big bottle, so I have, haven't gone through it yet. Um, I use this for everything. I clean my phone with it. I clean my, um, my, my Chromebook. That's a flip Chromebook. It's a touchscreen flip Chromebook. I clean my, um, my regular Windows laptop screen, my LCD screens. Um, and I, it's, it's worked really well for me. So, and it, it does have a, a leaf on the, on the box. I don't know if that means it says natural. I, I'm not sure. So I, I, I'm not going to go out on a limb here and say that this is necessarily uh, green, but uh, I would say at least poke a stick at it and see it's saying no alcohol, ammonia, or harmful phosphates. Uh, so um, I, I hope that is at least one to take a look at if you're looking for it. I've been, I've been happy with that one myself. Yeah. Um, let's see, anything else we think we can answer in the quick time we have here? Oh, here we go. How do you handle staff that may leave the district and want to take their Google files or some of them? Do you use Google Takeout? Well, yes, but it's a special version of it. Um, so if I go to takeout.google.com uh, slash transfer. Let me, get, let me get that link for you guys here real quick. So this is the I link. I can put it in. Oh, you got it. Oh, yeah. This is the link that we want to use. So, okay. Google Takeout. There's just regular takeout. Takeout.google.com. This is a specific portion of that that's different than just the regular one. If you go to regular Google Takeout, it's like if you want to take all the stuff you have in your drive and then download a copy of it for yourself and then it downloads it like into like PDF format or Word format. It like transfers it into a different format. That's not what you're trying to do. What you're wanting to do is say, hey, this person's leaving the district and they want their Google stuff to go to a personal Gmail account. They want it to go to the Google account in the new district where they're working. Well, if you go to takeout.google.com slash transfer, what it will do is this will only work for education accounts. Now, where you're sending it to doesn't matter. You can be sending it to a personal account or whatever, but it only works to transfer from educational accounts. So if you try to visit this page on a regular Gmail account, it will say, sorry, you can't access this page from a personal account. But because I'm logged into my work account right now, it'll say, oh, you, you, you're okay. You can transfer your content. It'll say, where do you want to send it to? So you have to put in the email address of where you're sending it. It can be a personal Gmail account or another Google for education account or a Google for business account, but it has to be a Google account. So you put that address in there and you hit send code. You then have to log into that other account and verify that it's okay because you can't, you know, can't just send your files to you know somebody unknowingly. You have to prove it really is your account. So after you send the code, you go to that account and you verify and say, yep, it's okay to receive this. And then on the third step, you select what you want to copy and transfer. You can pick your drive, your Gmail, all kinds of things. Now, the key here is the word copy. They're not, nothing is really transferring here. So it's not like somebody's leaving your district and taking their files with them and they're gone from the district. Google still does not support cross-domain transfer of files. This is a copy. You are having a copy made of the files. So all of the originals still exist in the 
regular domain where you're from, you're getting a new copy of every single file. And what it does is it puts it into a folder. So like if you go to your drive, you'll have a folder that will say something like, you know, copy of so-and-so's files or something. I can't remember the name it uses for it, but it's very clearly marked. And that folder then has everything that was copied and it has it in all, it brings the folder structure with it, but it hasn't nested inside of that. Same for Gmail, it'll put them all in a label so that everything is, you know, is, is collected together. Um, it can take a while, but you don't have to wait for it. Once you start it, you can walk away, close out of the browser. It all happens in the cloud after that. Once you kick it off, it could take a day. It could take two days to move all your stuff uh, or to copy all your stuff. But once you get get it started, it's 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 good to go from there. So that would definitely be my recommendation as the cleanest way if somebody is a senior graduating and they want to take all their files with them, an employee retiring, somebody who's moving to another um, another school district. I actually use this, and maybe there's another way. And somebody would say, "Eric, you kind of just done X Y Z." But I had we had a person who had two accounts in our own domain. And I don't know exactly how it happened. <laughs> I'm still not sure, but they, it's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. I think it's just too many, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. And, you know, we, you know, two people made an account for the person at two different times. And so this person had two accounts, one under um, like their maiden name and one under their married name. And it had just fallen through the cracks and they had both accounts. They were using both accounts. And we're like, oh, we, you know, I don't want that anymore. You probably just want one account. And they agreed, yes, let's just use, use my married name account. And so what I did was I used Google Takeout to send all of the files from her first account over to her new account, even though they were in the same domain. It was faster to do that than have her go in and try to share all the stuff herself. And it actually made it really simple and just, you know, it sent a copy over. So, so that's kind of cool. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap up. Uh, Stephanie, as, uh, as we start to wrap up, was there something that you thought we should mention? Something that I skipped over here um, that you wanted to um, give an answer to or draw attention to? Um, I would just suggest if anyone has any answer to these questions, there's some hard questions on here to just go ahead and put in a response. And if it is easier, just create a screencast for us. I think that would help out a lot because um, there are some really good questions on here, but I don't even know half the answers. And I didn't even know the Google takeout that there was a difference with the transfer. So that is good to know. Yeah, so fantastic for graduating seniors. This yeah. is something that they all need to know as we're getting, you know, heading into the second half of our school year here. That's going to be a great tool for them. Um, so, yes, please do, um, you know, look through this. And if you have an answer to any of these, feel free to add that in. I will do the same. Um, I apologize. Some of these questions, this is my first time seeing them. They just got typed in. And I will need to, you know, take a look at some of these as well and see if I can provide some um, uh, additional resources to help support these. Having said all of that, a couple things that I do want to uh, mention as we start to wrap up is if you did not sign in uh, for today, uh, please go back to the top of the document and head down to the section called important links, should be on page two, highlighted in green, there's a sign in form. What this does is it lets me do two things. It lets me send you a certificate of attendance for the meeting. So if you put your name and email address in there, I will mail merge through Autocrat a certificate of attendance for you. It also lets you tell us 
um, if this was your first time attending or not, because I send that information to Google. I don't give them your name or email address, but I do take the number of people who this was their first time and for those who it wasn't, so we can tell them how many people attended and how many people were new to it. Would definitely appreciate if you just take a quick moment and fill out that sign-in form. That would be great. Um, as a clarification for next month, things are gonna be a little different next month. February at the moment, if you check the website, it looks like we have a meeting in February. We are gonna change this one. So the February 27th is not gonna be a normal meeting. Instead, because we are having an in-person meetup, at OETC. This is going to replace our meeting for February. I realize not everybody can obviously attend that, uh, but we would encourage as many people who can on February 12th at 1130 at Flatiron to join us for that. So I will go in and uh, I will uh, adjust the the information in the um, in the on the web page to reflect that that we will not be doing a live um, uh, um, broadcast meeting in February. So March will be like this one. It'll be a two month one. We'll catch February and March together on March thirty first. I just didn't want anybody to be confused about that. I will get in and clean that up so that it doesn't have that other date on there. And other than that, please stay connected throughout uh, the next couple of months and, and on by joining our GEG Ohio Google group. That's a just simple Google group email distribution list. That's under the updates section where you can join that group so that you can ask questions and learn and connect all the time in between our meetings. Um, and of course, um, check out the website at bit.ly slash GEGOhio um, for any other updates. Um, so I want to, again, thank everybody so much for being with us today. Thanks uh, to Alex for joining us. And Stephanie, thank you so very much, as always, for everything you do uh, for this, including the, the podcast. If people are, are not aware of that, the audio from this uh, video does get pulled out of the podcast. Can you tell folks a little bit about how to get to that, Stephanie? Um, so we put our podcast on Anchor, and Anchor pretty much sends it out to all the different podcasting apps, so like Google Podcasts, it's there, it's on Apple's, um, Spotify, pretty much anywhere where you listen. If it is somewhere where you listen and it's not there, just let me know and I can look into that. Um, but you can always check out the podcast and you can listen on the go. Very nice. So whether you're watching the video on YouTube or if you're watching or listening to the podcast or just checking out the document, whatever method is the best way to consume this, uh, we, we hope this has been uh, beneficial to you. So until next time, thank you guys so very much for being with us. And we look forward to learning with you again real soon. Take care.